Good morning, everybody. How you doing today? I, I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Good morning. All right. My name is Carl Bunch. I'm the worldwide tech leader of digital advertising at AWS. And uh, I have a couple of great customers here today. We're going to talk a little bit about how we see uh, things today in uh, digital media and how technologies at AWS and other parts of the, of the ecosystem can play into that. And then we're going to work our way through that and uh, give you guys a chance to hear us argue a little on stage. We have a great group of people here. And then uh, we'll uh, you know, give you a chance to give some questions. So think about questions you might have for us. First up, um, I'd like to introduce uh, Dave Pickles, the CTO of the Trade Desk. Um, please give him a nice round of applause. Thank you, Dave. Come on in. Thanks, Carl. And then second, we have um, Alex and uh, Alex Calmer is the founder and CEO of VidMob. And another round of applause, please. So today, the agenda will be, I'm going to do a little intro here, we'll talk a little bit, um, and then Dave's going to talk to us a little bit about uh, the evolution of AI in advertising. Dave's from the Trade Desk, uh, which is, uh, how many people here are in digital media or advertising? Or, wow, all right. Hey, can I just get a round of applause for that? <laughs> I'm serious. That's really cool. Um, you know, this is, last year we had uh, a very small uh, set of events that we did um, at AWS, and this year we have uh, all of you here uh, very much in the industry, so that's great. So you know what the Trade Desk is. If you don't, then you'll learn a little bit about them in a minute. Um, and then we're going to hear from Alex, who's going to talk about VidMob, which some of you may have heard or may not have heard of before. And, um, and then I'm going to waste some time with you and give you some of my thoughts about what's happening in AI and advertising media. And then we'll do a little discussion um, and try to figure out, you know, what's going on? What's, what, what are the big topics of the day? Where are we going? And what's the future look like? And then we'll give you a chance to torture us a little bit, and then we'll uh, call it a day. So with that, I'd like to give Dave a chance to come up and talk to us a little bit about what's going on at the Trade Desk. All right. Thanks, Carl. Thanks. All right. Hey, everybody. So since we have some non-ad tech people in the crowd, I'll, I'll, I'll give the, the basics. So, Pretty good uh, coverage, though. What's that? Pretty good coverage. Yeah, really good. So the, the, the Trade Desk is a, a SaaS technology platform that lets our customers buy individual ad impressions in real time in a data-driven way is, is the basics of it. Uh, we, we look at about 8 million ads every single second, and those ads could be, they could be display ads, video ads audio ads, increasingly it's connected television, uh, literally anything, digital out of home, uh, garbage trucks in London, you, <laughs> you name it, like we can, we can, if you can describe it, I can price it. And uh, <laughs> so we, we, we look at lots and lots of ads to give you a sense of scale. If I needed to spend a $100,000 advertising budget this month in display, uh, I might need to buy about 20 of those ads every second. So the basic task is to get from 8 million opportunities to 20 that I actually want to go after. And that's a very big gap. And because of that tremendous oversupply or, or tremendous amount of opportunity, uh, what we did is design our platform to allow our customers to be very specific about what they want to buy to pick the exact right 20. And by doing that, you can create a tremendous amount of performance. Um, so that's the basics of the trade desk. There's, there's some, some stats there for you. 
about 1,000 employees globally. We are a global company, both in media and in, in service footprint, and then 300 plus engineers, data scientists, product managers. So like a third of the company in technology really is a software platform. Uh, and those people also are spread out from basically Sydney to London is our, is our engineering footprint. Just a bit, a bit about us. So uh, in terms of AI, this year uh, we've, we released a product or a suite of products that we called Koa, and we, we basically took a bunch of existing AI applications that we had plus some new ones and, and put them together in a new umbrella to talk about them in a better way. And so I'll just run through some of the things that we do with, with AI and with quasi-AI, uh, you know, depending on the case, um, data science in general. So, so a, a one that I'll, I'll show you a slide on in a minute is cross-device. So that, that's, um, you know, we all have lots of devices in our pockets and computers that we interact with. And of course, a brand would like to know that, uh, you know, what, what the sort of customer journey was across all of those devices. So we, we actually, we bought a company a couple years ago that had an awesome piece of technology for, for doing this uh, with, with, with AI, and I'll, I'll walk through that slide so I won't touch on it too much. Uh, planning is, is maybe the most interesting one to me, and so given that there's all this opportunity, uh, a brand says, hey, I want to spend $4 million this year, what should I spend it on? Being able to make a, a strong statement about what they should do, how they should do it, uh, and what the results might be is uh, a really interesting set of problems. And also, it, this represents us pushing a little farther up into the ecosystem, because typically planning was done at an agency uh, you know, on a whiteboard, effectively, with not very much data, or whatever, whatever, whatever level of sophistication it had, they're, they're trying to do their best job, and then they would you know, sort of come down through layers, and, and we were the execution at the very end, and so the most data was being used only at the end, so we're trying to push back up to the front and say, like, hey, we can use all of that data to plan, too, and we can create a lot of efficiency that way. Uh, budgeting is a super interesting one, given, given the scale, too, like pacing, how, how, whether or not you decide to go for an ad opportunity isn't just about the ad opportunity, it's also about the timing, and there's been a huge amount of work that's gone into uh, pacing correctly across a, a, a very big, very big sky. And, um, Optimization, targeting, I think that's sort of what I, what I described earlier. It's figuring out what the, what the exact best price is to pay for, for an impression. And then measurement is, a, is an area of uh, current research. You know, a lot of our industry uses a, a CPA, a last touch CPA. So the, the last, the last uh, platform to put an ad in front of the customer before they buy something gets all the credit. For, for doing that, or, or it used to be that search got all the credit, because you know, at the end of a 10-year uh, customer engagement life cycle, somebody went and typed something into Google, and Google got all the credit. So that, that's, that's, uh, that, that's attribution. We're trying to move beyond that into measuring, measurement that's more about uh, incrementality, A-B testing, uh, actually seeing brand lift, and, and a lot of exciting stuff there. So our biggest challenges in, in AI, um, the, the biggest challenge, I'll go to the second one, is moving from theory to production scale. And so, like, the, the textbook is full of awesome ideas on ways you can use AI, and they mostly all break when you try to do it 8 million times a second, and so we've had to do a, a lot of just, just interesting thinking to, to get there. Uh, we, we, this year, we've actually created an AI lab inside of our company because, uh, you know, AI can be used for so many great things, uh, but, uh, most software engineers don't necessarily think of it when they're evaluating a solution to a problem. So we've got a, a group of people that are basically going around every scrum team in the company saying like, hey, you could use AI for that. Um, 
so we're rethinking everything that we do from, from an AI point of view, seeing how we can create more value there. And then uh, lessons learned in AI. So in our space, uh, we were the benefactors of, uh, of other people's lessons that they found out that if you create a AI black box and say like, hey, we got a great result and I can't tell you why or how, that brands didn't really love that. And that uh, when, you're, when you're advertising, yes, you want to get a great result, but actually knowing what happened and why can be more valuable. Like I know you're, you thought your customer is this, but it's not, or that, that's one of your customer types. There's all these other customer types. Getting those insights back into the hands of the client uh, is a really powerful thing. Um, and then also just the transparency and trust that comes with the mindset of, hey, I'm going to deliver you all of the data and you can look at it. it. It leads to building AI in a really different way. You can't make sort of just a monolithic thing that figures it out. You have to build it more in pieces and, and have AIs taking tasks on for you and doing automation, but then being able to present a result that is uh, human understandable. You can't, you can't give a person a decision tree and say like, oh, look, in node 548, that's where the good stuff was. It doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean anything to them, right? Like, and, and so we've, we've benefited a lot from, from our approach on that. Um, so data, data cleaning is another really huge one. Garbage in, garbage out is such a thing with AI. I'm sure all of you know that, but just the, I think most of the work in, in an AI solution goes into understanding what you're putting into it. And uh, that was surprising to me, I guess, but, but makes sense in, in hindsight. And, Done is better than perfect. I said quasi-AI a minute ago, and I definitely believe in quasi-AI and heuristics and things like that, that uh, you know, like just because you can solve a problem with AI doesn't mean you have to, and sometimes there is a better, simpler solution. And in our space, we deal with a lot of problems in uh, data fragmentation and statistical significance when we're dealing with AI. And so like, yeah, it would be great if I could uh, have enough data to make a decision in that way, but uh, I'm going to win the day with a, with a simple solution. So we, we try to we try to you know put put technology to work in the right way in, in all the different cases. We're not we're not sort of slaves to everything being fancy. Uh, and then last thing I'll talk about is uh, data science and engineering. This is something that I'm actually really proud of is the way inside of our company we've organized to be able to do this. So we. we um, you know, the idea that like data scientists are uh, researchers, thinkers, and that engineers are builders doesn't really work because <laughs> you, can't, you can't have the two groups off doing different things. And so we, we've, we've put the groups together and so we have one very large uh, data science and data engineering organization that work together in sort of a, a little waterfall inside of Agile. So it's like you kind of start in theory, you move into execution and you end in theory to, to prove that everything's working correctly. And we've been able to create a, a, a fast iterative cycle with them. And so I've got uh, PhD data scientists sort of reaching and, and trying to figure out how execution works. And I've got engineers reaching and, and trying to figure out the theory. And, and when, when they come together, we've seen, we've seen really great results. Uh, I think I need to speed up. So here's a, a diagram. Carl wanted a diagram. I gave him a diagram. Uh, so, so this is just a, it is an example of, this is the cross device workflow at, at its highest level. Um, very high level. Uh, you know, this basically shows how you can take a bunch of off-the-shelf components at first. Like, you know, this is basically S3 and Spark, and and by very carefully engineering your features and and putting together some some off-the-shelf technologies, you can get a great result. What this doesn't show is that uh, there's a lot of cases where we had to go in and customize things, and so for for performance or for accuracy. Uh, we, we, you know, the, the whatever basic sort of spark 
AI components were, were running out of steam and you go rebuild them. But it's, a, it's a, a good example of how to work the process. You can put the workflow together, you can get a good result, and you can start to scale it up, and then as you need to, you can, you can tune things up and, and make it work really nice. Uh, so uh, some numbers up on the screen, I'll try to get this right. So this is, this is again, the process of taking all of the all of the data that we see across the bitstream, so 8 million times a second, we learn something about a, a person's behavior, and trying to figure out, not, not in a personal way, but in an anonymized way, who's who, or, or who are the, what are the devices that, if it's not the same person, they sure act like the same person, and so you might as well market to it. Um, so we take 9 million queries a second, which turns into 48 billion data points a day, <laughs> over 90 days, it's very, very big data. So you end up with uh, 11 billion candidates a day, or, or 300 billion candidate pairs that, that may be the same person. You, you cook that down again, you end up with 1.3 billion sets that you have a very high confidence are uh, the same person across 9 billion IDs. So it's kind of like everybody, uh, almost, uh, that, that, that ends up being, being classified by this. And one really cool thing that, that the team did, and this was before we acquired it, is they, they tuned the confidence on the model to match what we saw or what they saw in deterministic data. So if you go out and you get data where people have logged in to various devices and you, you tune your model to hit the same amount of accuracy as that, we ended up in a really good place. And so to say that another way, our, our models are wrong about as often as somebody left Facebook logged in on a device and somebody else started using it. So you know, there are ways in which deterministic data can be wrong, and so we're, we're equally wrong, but in a different way, and it, it creates a, a good set of, of, uh, of confidence for, for our customers. People are, people are pretty in love with it. Future stuff. Uh, so future is now. This is all kind of actually happening, so uh, we're continuing to, to improve. I already talked about Planner, but that's a huge area of focus for us is, uh, Trying to put a forecast in front of somebody that's very specific and very accurate is a super big challenge. Predictive clearing is a fun one, so this is a little uh, inside baseball for people that aren't in the industry, but uh, we used to run second price auctions for, for ad space, and so you'd submit a bit of a dollar and you'd clear it 40 cents or whatever, like bidding on eBay, where you pay however much the next person was going to pay, and then over a period of time, everyone sometimes without telling us, switched to a first price auction where they just took the dollar. And so that led to a totally different bidding algorithm because if you're bidding on eBay, you basically bid as much as you'd possibly be willing to pay for the item and when it clears for less than that, you're happy. If it clears at that, you're happy, right? But, you, but you're expecting a spread. And in a first price auction, you need to know two things, which is that price and you also need to know what you can get it for. So we had to go build a really complex predictive engine to try to figure out where things were gonna clear and at what rate, because I'm also trying to hit a win rate to go hit the plan. And so it's a fun piece of technology. Um, yeah, and then the last one, just uh, causality in advertising is a, a really fun thing to look at. It's really difficult to look at, because when I, when, I, when I look at this, I wanna be really holistic, and I wanna look at uh, exposures on linear TV, on connected TV, in audio, I wanna look at everything at the same time, and a lot of the times those don't have the same grain sets. So like in linear TV, I don't actually know what the cookies were or the device IDs, all I have is a, a, some sort of a notion of a household, and I have to go blend that data with these cookie data sets and with offline sales that get onboarded, and so it's really bringing together a lot of diverse data to try to create a result. I think that's, awesome. that's the long and the short of it. All right, thanks. Thank you very much.
Next up, we'll hear from VidMob. Just real quickly, I wanted to uh, give a little injection here. Uh, Alex and I ran into each other. Dave and I have known each other since when he had hair and I didn't have gray hair. But uh, Alex and I ran into each other just recently, uh, and we started talking about uh, our visions, and it was shocking. Uh, you know, Dave and I have worked together for a long time, so we kind of have similar visions, we kind of know, but uh, what you're gonna hear from him is a, a precursor for what uh, I'll talk to you about later. How's that for a little? Sounds good. Awesome. <coughs> Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Carl. Um, so Dave talked a little bit about budgeting and targeting, two of the sort of you know, key pillars of advertising performance. I'm gonna actually pivot this significantly and talk about the creative side, the third, the third key uh, pillar in, this, in the uh, triumvirate. And I think the fact that it's the same underlying AWS services that are powering both of our companies is just an incredible testimonial to how powerful and versatile these technologies are, because they really couldn't be two more different products. So, first of all, I just want to actually back up a bit and talk a bit about just how significant the changes we're seeing right now in advertising actually are. Um, the, from our perspective, the way we look at it is, we're effectively entering what we think of as a third communication epoch. So we were oral as a culture for tens of thousands of years in the way we communicated with each other. And from Gutenberg until today, we basically have lived in a society where communications were predominantly done in the form of text or static images. Obviously today that's changing in a very significant way. And so everywhere you look, there are screens, screens on all the devices we have, screens in dentist's office, and as Dave mentioned, screens on the sides of a garbage truck. <laughs> So this has had an incredible uh, impact on marketers of all shapes and sizes, from you know, tiny companies all the way up to the you know, largest uh, companies in the world. So just quickly going through and actually looking at how things are changing. So first of all, we're moving from a time where the vehicle for communication was effectively television. You had a single format, a single audience, everyone. And if you wanted to communicate, you sort of knew what the table stakes of the game were. Today, it's obviously entirely different. We've seen the rise of many platforms, Facebook, Snapchat, Pinterest, Twitter, programmatic, et cetera. And all of these have very different audiences in very different mindsets. And to communicate effectively to them, you need to communicate differently on each of those platforms. At the same time, the formats on each of them are changing dramatically, and this is not gonna change, right? Each of these platforms is gonna to continue to do exactly what they should, which is continue to roll out more and better formats to help marketers communicate more effectively on those platforms. But from a marketer perspective, what this means now is that when you wanna get a message out, not only do you have to take into account the actual platforms themselves, but you need to understand that there are at least 50 different formats spanning these. Furthermore, we see an expansion of what you know, data actually tells us, right? So marketers have been awash in data now for years, but for the most part, that's really been sort of performance-oriented. Uh, and at the same time, it's really been effectively an academic exercise. Data was something that gave you information. It informed you. It educated you. It was really about looking back into the past. It wasn't something that people actually acted on. And our point of view is that unless you're actually able to to react to data from a creative perspective in an appropriate time and, and at an appropriate cost, in some ways, what's the point of actually having the data in the first place? And then 
targeting itself is changing, right? We are uh, being given the ability to communicate directly down to the individual level, but if what you're doing is delivering the same message to each of those individuals, then what's the point of targeting the message? And I think a key point to, to that targeting thing is that this isn't about silly gimmicky things like being able to dynamically insert someone's name over an ad. <laughs> People are much more complicated than that. And so the way we look at it is, if you wanna have an effective marketing message, you have to get beyond the gimmick and actually connect with them at some emotional level to actually succeed. And then lastly, the shelf life itself is shrinking. So it wasn't long ago where you could spend weeks, months working on a small handful of beautifully produced assets and know that they were gonna be useful for many months, uh, maybe even a year. Today, we see much of the work that we do, the shelf life for it exists, it's, you know, it's days or weeks at most. And so all of these things are now adding up to a tremendous challenge for marketers. Uh, they have to deal with all of this, they have to go from a time where they needed to produce a small handful of assets, now one where they're literally thinking about producing thousands and thousands of assets a year. So clearly, if that's the case, the way we as marketers, the way every business in the world communicates and the way that they create their ads has to change. So from our perspective, what that change means is that creative needs to be scalable. We need to move from a few to thousands. It needs to be measurable. We need to be able to understand not just how it's performing, but specifically what are the creative aspects of the media that are actually driving that performance. Uh, and it needs to be actionable, right? So you, if you're gonna have information, you need to be able to act on it in real time. So I'm gonna dig in specifically on uh, the product that Carl was mentioning, which is our creative intelligence tool, which is you know, built on an array of AWS services. So for us, the key question here is uh, basically the rise of a new data vector. So this is what we call creative data. And the, the first point of this is you have to be able to understand that a video itself is, sure, it's a story, but it is also a series of creative data. So everything that exists in every frame in a video, the people, the objects, the sentiment, the branding, the logo size, the words that are being spoken, the words that are being shown on screen, all of these are data points. A year ago, a couple years ago, you could have human taggers sitting and going through an incredibly laborious, uh, very time-consuming and very expensive process. Now, increasingly, we're able to actually do this, uh, that true scale, uh, thanks to you know, services like our friends uh, here at Amazon. And I think it's, it's important to note that uh, at, this, at this event last year, I don't believe recognition was even doing video. So um, we, it was actually less than a year ago that uh, Amazon Recognition announced that they were moving from images to, to video. So everything that you're gonna see here in the product that we built has all been built in, in less than a year. Uh, and this is not a prototype. We have you know, hundreds of the largest marketers in the world using this to process their entire uh, ad media catalogs. So what exactly does it look like? Uh, when, when a human looks at it, you see the left. When our, when our system looks at it, what you see is uh, a very large series of labels coming back for each frame, literally chronicling every single thing that's, that's happening in the video itself. So what it does is it actually delivers uh, snippets, uh, effectively every 200 milliseconds or so, of all the things that, that uh, are being seen. And what we then need to do is go through 
and analyze that information. In this case, you have four consecutive 200 millisecond strings and look at the labels that are being delivered back to us. So here, it's, it's delivering information to us that it's seeing a basketball in the first and fourth of these increments. And we need to build systems on top of this to smooth out the pattern and understand was there a basketball in each of those and, and was it just that the confidence level wasn't high enough in the, in, in the intermittent things? Because in order for this to work for our product, we need to have you know, sort of contiguous information so we understand what's happening uh, throughout the course of a, of a linear continually flowing ad. So the question then becomes, what can you do once you have an ad asset properly tagged across all of its various creative attributes? And this is where things get interesting. So the system we've built enables us to effectively capture three creative data vectors. So there's the first, which is primarily driven off of the AWS services, which enables us to chronicle all the uh, machine-capable objects, sentiment, et cetera. Uh, we've also built a human-in-the-loop system, which enables us to have human coders step in and provide cover for things that machines can't do. So was this ad uh, designed for emotional benefit or functional benefit? Uh, on a scale of 1 to 100, how beautiful is this? On a scale of 1 to 100, how funny is it? Uh, and then finally, because all these ads are being created on our platform, we're able to look at what we think of as process information. So was this done overnight? Was it done over the course of two weeks? Did the brand manager make 100 comments, or did he or she have nothing to say on the matter? All three of those creative data sets can then be crossed with the performance information that's coming back directly from all of our API integrations into all the major social platforms. And when you do that at scale, you start to actually see interesting insights that can be delivered back to our clients. So in this case, you see three sort of samples. Uh, in one case, uh, a marketer may learn that when their spoken words per minute gets above 27, you know, then they start to see drop off in their retention curve. Or uh, if one of our beauty clients, L'Oreal, for example, uh, showcases a product shot at more than 70% of the screen, they see significant uptick in purchasing. Uh, or, or finally, one of my more interesting ones is this idea of sort of clutter and, and, uh, and object dissonance. So how do we react when we see a toaster on a beach versus a toaster on a countertop? So in the span of less than a year, we've built a system to do all this. Uh, and you know, the amazing thing now is how simple it is for our, all of our client partners. All they, all they need to do is come in and authenticate their ads accounts at any of the major platforms. And effectively, instantaneously, the system downloads every single piece of media they have, uh, downloads all the performance information, runs the models on, on, on both, and comes back with real actionable insights that they can then take uh, and, and create new media based upon that. So we call this our Agile Creative Studio, and here is a quick video that I hope will play, which gives you some background on the actual product itself.
So I talked a, talked a lot about Amazon recognition, but the fact of the matter is that this product is actually built on an array of Amazon services. So we're using Transcribe to take down the spoken words from each of our pieces of media. We're using Translate, uh, Comprehend, SageMaker. All of these products and their avail availability have enabled us to, A, build this in less than a year. I think, it, uh, I think we had it in market with clients in, uh, I think, less than six months. Um, and uh, it's allowed us to focus on what we do best, which is uh, helping people, act, you know, getting matched up with, you know, talented professional creators and, and making the ads themselves. So um, the question then is, you know, what can you do with it? And this is the, the key point. And this is, I think, what, what you know, we really think is sort of fundamental to all this, is that data without action is a waste of your time, right? And you need to be given the tools to be able to react to the data you have uh, in a matter of days, not weeks or months. Uh, and so for us, what this has done is it's enabled this, uh, a, a tightening of the loop of creating and learning. Uh, and this is uh, a theme that you hear spoken uh, and, and really sort of hammered from the likes of you know, Facebook and Snap and a lot of our partners that uh, gone are the days of sort of creating a single piece of media, putting it out there, uh, crossing your fingers and hoping against hope that it delivers the results that you need. Nowadays, people will create uh, an array of assets, put them out, uh, within hours start to get information about which ones are working. Uh, you can certainly adjust budgets to the ones that are working and react that way. But we can also start to look at um, the, what is working about them, make continual tweaks to those, and, and, then, and through this process actually change the performance and life cycle of campaigns themselves. And I think this actually gets to the point here, which actually is where there's actually really interesting overlap between our business and Dave's, which is how do we actually impact and change uh, ad decay curves? So historically, a an ad has decayed in a very standard way over time. Time could be uh, weeks, it could be years, but basically an ad will decay down until it no longer is economically viable, and then you turn it off. What we've seen now is that we've actually enabled marketers to be able to preset KPIs. So maybe that's cost per install, maybe it's other you know, purchasing metrics. They can preset those KPIs and actually set it up so that uh, new creative is generated automatically based on uh, those thresholds and then put back into their ad accounts in a matter of hours or days. Uh, and when marketers do this process and apply this series of continual optimization to their ad media, it ends up having massive impact on the performance of their ads. So I actually gave a talk with one of Carl's colleagues uh, in New York at Advertising Week, uh, and we spoke with one of the heads of marketing for IHGs, one of our larger clients, and they spoke about how they had applied their process across hundreds of ads, and across all of those, when they did this, they saw the lift in terms of uh, view through to 100% had actually more than doubled across their entire ad set. And so when you start thinking about this in terms of marketers who are spending literally hundreds of millions of dollars uh, and the fact that you know, this simple process can actually enable them to double and even triple the performance of their ads, the, the economic impact of this is you know, quite substantial. So with that, I'm gonna turn it over to Carl to talk about some of the underlying tech that we use. All right, thank you. Thank you, Alex. So we heard a little bit on uh, both sides here. You hear the execution side where you're buying and you're trying to filter and trying to find that 
20 ads that you want to buy and 8 million a second that are flying by you. We heard a little bit about how creative is super important and how we can use AI to extract information from that creative and then overlap that with performance and with a platform that's able to immediately ask for creative. I think that's an important thing that you, you really want to drive home there is that the system is, is empowered by all this technology, but there's still all these humans in it also, right, that are creating these creatives. Let's talk a little bit about some of the things that I see happening in, in uh, media. Uh, you know, there's a little disagreement amongst us, which will be great. We'll get to talk about that disagreement as to the timing of these things. But I kind of feel like when I look at what's been happening around AI and its application to media, yesterday was really about media evaluation. And if you're not using AI today, or you're not using a system like Dave's that values media using AI, you are years behind everybody else. It's literally done. You have to be doing that or you're not gonna be able to be successful. As you look into today as in now, you're seeing targeting, analytics, and of course media, media evaluation are, are being powered by AI. And, I, and to me, I think this is really important because a lot of times people think, Oh, you know, uh, targeting, yeah, that's just let me pick some people and what. You, you need to have systems that are figuring out that customer you didn't know you had, as Dave was talking about, right? Like the, that one, you think you know your customer, you go buy a bunch of media, and then the system goes, oh, by the way, here's a bunch of people that live in Florida that, you know, own boats, and you didn't know that they were important. <laughs> and you're like, wow, that's amazing. Now let me go figure out how to find more of those people. So I, I think you're seeing that already today. And as it goes in the future, you're gonna start seeing dynamic creative. And when I talk about dynamic creative, I don't mean injecting uh, you know, a picture or a price into a creative. I mean a creative that literally transforms. You know, uh, one, of our, one of our customers and uh, a good friend of our organization demoed something for me where they showed me they took a bunch of pictures of of different products like hair care product and some skin care and so forth. And then they, they basically just had these as individual pictures and then the system actually assembled them, like put them on top of each other, put the face cream in front of or behind this one and literally just mutated that, that ad. And then they were able to find what, what was the best set of features, you know, how do you change that using a machine learning model and oh, by the way, how does that apply across geo, across browsers, across user profiles and you know all these kinds of things so time of day and and you're going to start seeing this this powering of dynamic creative in, in a way that we hadn't thought of before and then when you go a little further you're going to start seeing um, creative itself uh, what i love the most about vidmob system which i don't feel like we have enough time to get deep into is that you you you're literally you're starting to have a conversation with a computer Right? When you think about it, you have uh, recognition, you've got uh, you know, transcribe, you've got all these tools inside of AWS, which would be very hard for a marketer to actually figure out how to do all that stuff themselves. They, they pull all those things together, and now that's giving them feedback, and they can see the performance data, and they can now tweak and change what's happening. Right? And you're starting to see a conversation where you're gonna see full loop analytics. And oh, by the way, my prediction is over time, you're gonna see creative system is one AI system, dynamic is another, targeting is another, analytics is another, and all of these are gonna start talking to each other with humans in there, adding the context to it. So a lot of times when I talk about this, 
it freaks people out. They get a little nervous. They're like, wow, like if you work in digital advertising, I probably just put like 97% of your job in orange and said AI is going to power that. Think though for a minute. There is no media on Mars, but plenty of robots, right? No, no media on Mars. Anybody want to tell me why there's no media on Mars? Somebody? What? Nobody's there. There's no people, right? Media is about people. It's about, I have an offer. I want to sell you this really cool clicker. Anybody want to buy it? Right? I need people on both sides of that conversation. So I believe what you're going to see is these systems will actually empower people to be more successful, right? To, to be able to do the scale, to be able to approach the, the kind of messaging they want to make, to focus on their customers and spend less time in Excel spreadsheets, right? That's what you're gonna see. The other thing I think is important is that when you think about AI, you really want to think about it as a new data source, right? How can I use AI to extract data? As we were talking about, with, as Alex is talking about at VibMob, they're, they're using recognition and all these different um, tools of ours in order to extract data. Here's a video, you might wanna watch this just real quickly, you'll see it go by. What's interesting is here it said, you know, uh, here's a party, there's some balloons, there's a child, somebody opening a present, uh, there's a party hat, there's some flowers. In a couple of seconds, the system has literally extracted all kinds of information that none of us actually had available to us programmatically in the past. Now you can start using these systems in order to extract that data across historical creative also, which is fantastic. So with a platform like VidMob, you can connect your whatever major social media company uh, that is connected to, to uh, VidMob, and then all of the old creative can be pulled down and then the performance can be applied to that. Now all of a sudden you've got historical experience, you've got all this data that you didn't have access to before, and you can start planning for the future. The other thing that we can do is we can use speech-to-text systems like Amazon Transcribe in order to take all the words out of these videos, or if it's an audio-only channel, you can pull that out. You can use things like Amazon Comprehend to take all this textual information you have and apply natural language processing to it to break it out to, you know, what kind of topics are there, are there storms, is it about finance, is it around the stock market, and so forth. You can use um, Amazon Lex conversational systems and you can start having dialogues with your customers. But, but Carl, that's not a data source. Oh, but it is. If every node in a conversational system, if you treat it like a page visit, that is data. Right? How far do your customers go into these conversational systems? What are they talking to them about? What's hot? What's working? What's not? Where do they linger? Where do they exit? All of those are the things we all know how to do. We've done it before with websites. Now, you're, now all of a sudden you're doing it with a conversation with your customer using artificial intelligence systems. And then the other thing that I think is really important is, uh, you know, one of the things I love about AWS and one of the reasons I joined is we're really about doing all the heavy lifting and democratizing technology so that everybody can do their best for their customer and we can take that, that pain away. And SageMaker is a beautiful example of this. I call it AI for the masses, right? It, we have pre-built notebooks. We have all the, all the uh, 
you know, the piping, we have optimized algorithms that are 10 times more optimized. We have no, we have no opinion on one particular type of uh, you know, modeling system. We support MXNEC and PyTorch and, and like uh, you know, TensorFlow, all kinds of different uh, uh, platforms inside of it. And the nice thing is, is that we have one-click training, optimization, the ability for you to deploy with one click, the ability for you to have a fully managed hosting environment. You can either have uh, APIs where you can make calls to it or you can have batch oriented. And most importantly, what I really encourage you to do is to play with these things. The idea behind SageMaker is that data scientists and engineers, what are they? They're just really smart, curious people who want to solve problems all day long. I love what Dave was saying. When you put the data scientist on one side of the room, and you put the engineers on the other side of the room, and oh, by the way, don't invite the business people, you might as well fail, right? That's ridiculous. Stop thinking about these as different people. They're teams. They're all trying to solve interesting problems. You don't have to have a deep degree in data science to use SageMaker. Every single one of you right now could log in in 15 minutes. Please wait for the end of the session and do your survey. But you know, you could log in yourself and use SageMaker to do AI right now. Now, um, I don't have enough time to go through all of this, but take a picture, and the slides will be on. But I want you to think about this. You think about the idea that on one side you have video, audio, image data, textual data, website data. All of these things are, are coming into a system, and you've got all these tools to tear these things apart on the in the middle here, right? You got recognition, you've got transcribe and so forth. And then you start getting it all coalesced, and coalesced into one place. And now you can start doing things like AI optimization. You can do data modeling. You can start doing analytics and business intelligence on this data. The, what I'm trying to encourage you to think about is uh, how does your current pipeline look today? And if you don't have one, you want to start designing one. And how can I use AI to be an extra augmentation to that data pipeline. That's super important. You know, when I, when I talk about machine learning models with people, a lot of people will say, listen, you know, I've got X number of columns of data, and I say, well, your real trick is figuring out how to find more columns of data, and then how to find value out of those. So, anyways, enough of that. Um, what I'd like to do right now is maybe talk a little bit amongst us about the, the three of us just talked about creative, about uh, execution and a little bit about uh, nerdy stuff, like how all these pieces come together. Um, and you know, one of the one of the things I wanted to talk about was human in the loop. Uh, what do you guys What do you guys think about that? What do you think of the big? Yeah, I wanted to I wanted to jump in when you were saying we were automating all the jobs, but <laughs> so, yeah, go for it. Because I really I don't think that's true at all. Yeah. You know, we we actually re released a whole new system this year with the mantra of let's have people do things people are good at and machines do things machines are good at, yeah. and stop asking them to do each other's work because you know they both humans and machines can solve the same kinds of problems and do the same kinds of things like make hypotheses and test hypotheses, but they're gonna do them in really different ways. Yeah. You know, a machine is gonna build a model and it's gonna do all the stuff we've been talking about today. A person's gonna say, like, people don't drive more than five miles to go to a fast food restaurant. Yeah. And so why am I advertising outside of those? And, and they'll get to that answer, a human will get to that answer so much more quickly than brute forcing the universe, yeah. right? Especially at the, the scale that we operate at, the sky is so big. Right. You can't just go interrogate the sky for everything that could possibly be happening in it. You have to make good bets about where to go focus. Yeah. What about you, Alex? What do you think about human in the loop? 
I think there's actually two interesting aspects to this. The first is at sort of just the pure business level. I really do think we're going to witness the sort of rise of these kind of human-machine hybrid businesses. When I was actually starting VidMob, it sort of occurred to me that businesses that were purely technology were going to be incredibly vulnerable to you know sort of the large you know corporate you know incumbents being able to effectively assess that something's interesting and build it rapidly. Um, and so my view was that sort of what the traditional venture model looking for sort of purely software scalable businesses, uh, that in a way that was kind of broken yeah. and that true uh, protection and moats were now going to be built increasingly with these sort of human uh, machine hybrid systems. So that was kind of rattling around inside of our heads even in like the birth of the business. Uh, but what we see now is, uh, in terms of the actual uh, utility and value of the data set itself, that when you can create hybrid systems that actually um, you know, marry you know, the existing machine systems with you know, human moves, and, we, and we, so we've built a system now that enables uh, marketers to, you know, for a price, uh, and, uh, have you know, effectively like a highly targeted Turk system. <laughs> that yep. goes through and looks at uh, whatever specific human characteristics they want, and then those two data sets can be layered side by side. And, um, and it, it, it ends up being a uh, differentiated data set uh, and, and delivers a lot more value back to the client. When I think about it, how many people here use, use a GPS? Yeah, I mean, come on, right? When I think about it, I think about um, how important it is to have uh, the human context of where I'm going, right? I mean, uh, knowing what, but I don't really care where 10th Avenue is, right? It's just not important to me. I want to be thinking about that customer I'm going to go visit and what's important and what I want to talk to them about and what are some of their big issues that's important. That's what I want to be doing in the car. I don't want to be thinking about, oh, there goes 10th Avenue. And I, I, I think human in the loop and even just AI in general, we have to remember that this generates the ability for us to have more time to think, right? That's what's important. Artificial intelligence or technology in general has, has permeated our lives and created this opportunity for more time to think and think more about the creative, think more strategically about how I'm spending and what I'm doing, what my customers are, think more about you know, what my product should look like and how it should work. So I think, to me, that's the, that's the big thing, right, is, is that um, people are nervous about technology, but they forget that if we don't have any context, without human context, it's kind of useless, right? Yeah, and I think, like, just one, one other point to add to that, I, I mean, there is this perpet, per, you know, perpetual fear that AI is coming and AI is going to take it over. Yeah. And I actually think that, I mean, we've seen this, it, you know, play out in, in, in real time where uh, these... Job sectors that sort of index high on the axes of empathy and creativity—they're uh, really not prone to a takeover AI. And in fact, AI can be utilized to uh, make them better, um, make them, you know, earn more money. Uh, and, and so we've actually seen a very positive impact, at least in this particular labor segment. Uh, and and it was one of the sort of root reasons for our, the creation of our business. And the other thing that comes to mind is sources of data, right, and sources of feedback. Um, you know, I think as things continue forward, we're going to definitely see, uh, uh, you know, an inrush of ways we can interact with users and get feedback. Any thoughts on that? 
Uh, go for it. <laughs> so I'm sorry, go ahead. I, it, well, I mean, think about like the like button. I mean, Dave oh, yeah, and I yeah, were yeah. just talking about this this Got morning. It. So yeah, so uh, I, I like to pick on the like button because yeah. because uh, yeah. So the the data set that we look at is nice because it's really pure. Mm -hmm. It's a bunch of actions that people took, and so there there can be skews or whatever involved in that, but they're going to be relatively minor. If you look at the like, it's uh, there's so much social pressure to like things, and like there, there's there's a lot wrong with that data set. And I, I think about like when I interact with like Spotify, and I'm telling it whether or not I like uh, a song. I wish it would ask me why. Yeah, and, that's and a it, good point. And I think they yeah. could take their their science to the next level with that. And so you know, it's it like me sort of just thinking about other people's data science problems yeah. and being happy about where where we're at. With yeah, there's a lot of cleaning to do, but it, it is uh, it is pure, yeah. pure feedback. Yeah. What do you, you think, know, Alex? And, well, I think it's just going to help us develop more nuanced views of uh, you know, sort of simple you know, feedback. So well, you know, I think the, the classic example is uh, you know, thinking about retention curves, right? Um, you would think that it's, uh, you know, from, a, from a traditional advertising mechanic, it's positive to have a user retained through the entirety of, of an ad. But how does that take into account if the message is actually incredibly powerful and the user ends up clicking out on average <laughs> midway through convert. to go buy it. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. And so I think what, what, we, what we're going to see is you know, AI actually coming in and looking at sort of uh, the multiplicity of signals and being able to read into these and develop more nuanced views on, on uh, you know, how to actually read them. Yeah. Okay, awesome. So what do you, I'll start with Dave. Uh, what do you think it looks like five years from now? What's the big prediction that you think people are out here not, not, not seeing? Yeah, so five, in five or something like that years. So <laughs> it could be five weeks. <laughs> a, a, a couple of things. So specific to our business, I think the rise of, of connected television is going to really change the way that people just interact with media. And what we're trying to help with is to not have what happened to cable TV happen to, to connected TV, where in cable TV, like, there's uh, a lot of ads. CPMs were pretty low. Everybody installed DVRs. <laughs> and so then, like, they had to put on more ads. Like, so the poor people who didn't install a DVR were getting crushed with ads or are now getting crushed with ads. And I don't think it has to be that way. And so by, by being very specific, by doing all the things we've talked about, by having an amazing creative, you can, you can pay quite a strong price for, for a piece of media and get the effect for the advertiser that, that they need. And then you don't have to have you know, 40 spots in every show. You can have four. Yeah. And you know, so hopefully we can we can continue to fund the the golden era of media, with uh, with through quality rather than quantity through, through, through quality. But yeah, through a reasonable quantity yeah. of, of right. very high quality ads, and then then also get what we also need from advertising, which is the ability for us all to grow our businesses. And that's what advertising is really about. What yeah, yeah, about? I, I would agree with, with Dave. I I, th I think that um, uh, particularly led by the OTT systems, uh, Amazon Prime, Netflix, others. Um, the, all of the wonderful things that we've come to expect as part of sort of digital and programmatic advertising, uh, you know, targeting, real-time feedback, you know, all, all these things are, are soon going to be available in TV. And so all of the kind of real-time optimization loops and, and things that we've developed for sort of digital marketing, I think, are going to apply in, in short order uh, to television. But I think the other thing that's, that's important is that, you know, video is really just today's static point in a continual progression. Uh, the way we look at it is that um, this 
move from less complex to more complex is not going to stop in today. We, you know, it, it, it's just, you know, we, we tend to think in terms of video because we live in today. Mm. But the reality is that um, it's, it's irreversible, the, the, the pattern forward. And so in short order, it's going to be augmented reality. Uh, we're actually one of the, uh, I think we are the only kind of non-pure play uh, AR partner for, for Snap to help them to create, you know, make, make it easier for brands to create lenses and things into the you know, Snap ad, ad ecosystem. Um, and beyond that, it's going to be VR and other things. And so I think that like, the way we look at it is that this is going to continue to move towards more and more complex ad formats uh, that is just going to you know, exponentially increase the amount of creative friction. Mm. Uh, and so I think, like, and I've, I've said this a few times, but I actually think that there we are sort of entering and moving towards a golden age of kind of tech-enabled human creativity. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I see video as just uh, you know, a, a, a transient stop along that road. Yeah, I mean, for me, I use the GPS example. I, I really think that you're going, to, you're going to find five years from now that people are just going to be very comfortable with a lot more relationship with artificial intelligence systems. I think they're uncomfortable right now, but um, you know, all of us have Echo Dots at home. I won't even say her name because she'll respond to me. Uh, and, you know, all of us have all these systems we're, we're slowly getting used to interacting with. And I think as you see the more and more complex human-in-the-loop things happen, it'll just become natural to me. And I, I believe that because when you look at something like GPS as a great example, just like you wake up and look, everybody's using it. So I, I think that's true. They just need to work way better. Yeah. I, that, that's why I keep working yeah. on technology because I think there's so much potential and it's all still uh, always broken. Yeah, always broken. That's, you know, that's, that's a beautiful thing. Uh, I think, uh, I think uh, Jeff has been quoted as saying that customers are, are always uh, wonderfully unhappy, right? Uh, technology is exactly that way. It's always wonderfully, always broken, right? Otherwise, we'd all be, I don't know, in the Bahamas somewhere, right? <laughs> All right, so thank you very much, guys. Um, I want to give uh, the audience a couple minutes to uh, do some Q&A, but first of all, thank you. I think somewhere we have, uh, we have a mic, but um, you can shout it out, too, if you have questions, or maybe just hold up your hand and let me know. Any questions? Yeah, so the question was, how do you, how do you identify the interactivity? Yeah. And what do you use it? How do you use it? Um, first of all, Amazon recognition actually is starting to build out models for all kinds of actions. Things like uh, playing golf, swinging a bat. I don't know them all. I would suggest going to the Amazon recognition site if you want to look at that. Second of all, um, the thing that I have learned in building optimization pipelines is that you, know, you, don't, you just need data. You need lots of data. And, and the systems will start figuring it out. So rather than over-obsessing over whether or not this particular action or that action's there, uh, right, I mean, would you guys? Well, it's, it's more your world, but. Uh... Yeah, I guess, and, and I guess my question is, do you mean sort of the viewer interactivity to the uh, ad itself? Yeah. Yeah, and so user engagement yeah. is the question, yeah. How you... 
Yeah, so I mean, effectively, we're relying on the data that's passed back to us through the ads APIs of all of our partners. So we're integrated into the ads APIs of you know, Twitter, Pinterest, Snapchat, Facebook, uh, Instagram, LinkedIn, and a variety of others. And each of them have different uh, sort of post view uh, measurements that they pass back. Uh, and in, in cases like you know, for marketers that have the Facebook Pixel installed, you actually get downstream all the way to purchasing. And uh, so it's, it's different in every case, and, and we need to kind of build systems to take into account those differences. Yeah, awesome. Any other questions? Yeah, go ahead. So, so the question is, how do you work with creative directors in a world of technology? I'll tell you what, how do you work with cabbies that don't use GPS? Yeah, no, it... Right? I mean, it's, it's the, the technology. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, it, it's a great question. Uh, I, and I think, like, the, the sort of initial uh, response always is one of, like, real fear, right? Uh, yeah. that, that, A, this thing's coming to take my job, or, you know, how could... And, and I think what we would say is that this is not about telling you, all right, you need to like, you know, show the cat in the third second, right? It, it's really about sort of opening the aperture and understanding that, hey, you know what, when, when, when we start doing tons of fast cuts in, in the middle of it, that actually has an impact. And so, you know, let's try something else, right? Um, this, it has to be a continual Dialogue. feedback to the human itself. Um, and for it to work, it has to empower those creative directors. And we, we've actually found they are uh, you know, generally a pretty tech-savvy group, and they're interested in data if it's useful to them. Yeah. One last question. Over here, go ahead. Are you talking about, so you're saying, how do we think about the creative and how the, the technology in the human in the loop works? Is that what you're asking? Customers make choice. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the question is kind of like, how do you, when you're working with customers, they make decisions based on their own gut instinct, how do you, how do you bring technology to help it's a, them? It's a question of imperfect information. It's kind of like what I was talking about with measurement. You have to just make inference with, with, with what you've got. Like there is a bunch of telemetry that we get back on, like to the earlier question, like how much of the video did they watch? And outside of the walled gardens, it's actually better. You can, you can instrument the whole thing up and, and we can see so much data across customer journey and including out into into offline, there, there is significant data to be able to start to pick it apart, but it is starting to get a little sparse for where you're talking about, and like, I think just, just more data, more instrumentation will help with that. But also, we don't, we don't have to be perfect. Our job is to be better than anyone's ever been at advertising, and we can absolutely do that, especially between the two of us. All right, thank you very much, everybody. Um, please feel free to, or please fill out the survey. It's very important for us. 
and um, you know, give us some feedback if you have any, and there'll be additional, we can take additional questions on the side, but I gotta give up the stage. Thank you very much. Thank you.